0: welcome everybody to the steve jordan experience with me today is kirsten beverly waters who is a yoga medicine teacher a fitness coach author and motivational speaker kirsten is known for using her innovative movement methods to bring a modern approach to yoga's ancient wisdom teaching movement through the lens of mental wellness and whole body health and spiritual groundedness she helps others find their sacred body and soul connection and i am sure she will do that for us today Welcome, Kirsten, to the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, it's a pleasure. So, Kirsten, everybody has a story, I feel like, especially in this fitness space and uh, yoga space, they came from something that was uh, life-altering or changing. Was there something that got you involved in this space, or was it something that you always had an attraction to from a young age?
1: Well, at a young age, my father was an incredible athlete, and I admired him greatly, but he passed suddenly when I was six years old. And mm. from there, I still wanted to to be him. And so sports, fitness, wellness is always something I've been interested in, but I was always also very good at out eating my workouts. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. So I was... I was a kid who would not wear blue because kids would ask me where the Oompa Loompas were. So they were. Get out. Come on. Yeah, it's not good. But I will tell you in cross country, you can roll a lot faster when you're around or falling. Oh, (laughs) Um, (laughs) jeez. But I mean, honestly, my, my big light switch moment was when I was going through cancer. So when I was going through cancer Mm. and, and being confined to a bed, and stripped of the ability to do basic things, things that we take for granted, like sitting up without being winded or going for a walk, I started to really reevaluate what movement, what nutrition, what health really looked like. Because I I don't think I ever really connected all of the dots to say this is what true wellness looks like. And especially in this day and age, there's so many different versions of what someone might tell you wellness looks like. For some people, that may be like rip, shredded abs. Another person, it's I wanna be healthy, I wanna feel fit, I want to wear a bathing suit confidently and be able to chase my kids and do, do fun things. Um, and so that that experience, I think, really was the catalyst into studying human movement, uh, meditation, yoga, mixed martial arts, anything I could get my hands on while I couldn't get out of bed, I would read up on. Mm-hmm. It. So that was that was the big turning point for me to get into this area.
0: Well, I am grateful, as I would probably speak for everybody else, that you are here with us, able to share your story. If you can, maybe delve into that a little bit deeper, um, you know, so we can be a little bit more related to the challenges and what was there faced before you. What kind of cancer, and what were you challenged with?
1: So, I had breast cancer, and um, I really believe that it wasn't breast cancer because I was so young; I was only twenty-one years old. It did—they did find it in my uterus as well, and. And uterine makes more sense for, for my age, but regardless, it's it's staged and determined based on where they find it. And they found it in my breast. And um, as I went through chemo and radiation, multiple surgeries, there's there's such a disconnect with your body and your mind, because your mind is telling you this isn't really happening. And your body is very much saying, oh, it is happening. And mm-hmm. very strong willed and determined. But there comes a point where you have to surrender and not surrender in a give up sense, but surrender to the vulnerability of the experience. And there was a, a mm. amazing patient who I met that did yoga and meditation. And one of the things she found while we were sitting in treatments together was how alone I felt, how isolated. And she started talking to me about meditation and. And what happens with healing the body through the mind and, and through the bre- breath and through energy and recognizing that it's not just what I'm feeding myself in the nutrients that's mattering. It's the materials I'm reading. It's the conversations I'm having, the communities I'm connecting with. And that that experience with her was that stepping stone to evaluating how I could best heal my body because mm. there are a lot of different treatments and there's a lot of different methods out there. But for me, the the best avenue was really focusing with uh, a nutritionist to help me work, w- work with my immune system. Um, I did stay on a rather ketogenic diet during my um, treatments because Sugars fuel tumors. And so ketogenic diet has been something that more and more physicians kind of turn to. And I also had used intermittent fasting as well, because after chemo, it really helped with resetting the immune system. So I would get less inside side effects and I could feel much more like myself, which sounds counterintuitive to think that, right? Not eating would make you feel better. But there's a, a whole science there that we won't get into here, but was definitely huge in, in the healing process for me. And then just, sure, thinking-
0: there's, We've had several guests on here not uh, to, to interrupt, but just to talk about ketogenic diet that are uh, very proactive and and um, advocates of the of the ketogenic diet. And I, I've seen it for myself as well, and um, and I've heard a lot of amazing stories of recovery like yours. And then as well as the intermittent fasting, I think of all the the amazing authors and best selling authors in and around the nutrition space. Many of them have their own unique way of approaching nutrition or whatnot, because it's so variable. Mm -hmm. But there's one common component to all of that is that they all believe that intermittent fasting is real and it works. It helps to reset your body um, to just make it very simple. So um, that's, I just wanted to bring that up because if those people that have been listening uh, several of these episodes, you know, we're now on like 115 episodes, but after, you know, several of them, we talk about it. When you start hearing the same thing over and over again by different people of all different walks of life and experiences like yours, you know, you start to hear that and it's, it's like, wow, okay, this makes sense. And I, you know, whether you know the science or not, like you could just take it at the surface, no, it does. So it, it definitely works. I have been intermittent fasting for almost 10 years without even really knowing the science and what its potential was. Um, and I do that every night. So if I eat dinner at seven o'clock, I don't have anything or ingest anything other than water until 7 a.m. the next morning, at least. So I always do it like a 12 hour or 14, 16 hour uh, fast, intermittent fasting. And then I just eat in the short window and it's helped me. i Haven't been on an antibiotic in 16 years, um, maybe even slightly longer. And I maybe just get a rare cold, maybe once a year, just a seasonal cold. But I fight it with, uh, you know, just natural ways. It lasts for just a couple of days, but that's it. And I feel amazing, great energy. So I share that only to enlighten people that you don't have to recover from cancer, but it's about, and this is what I want to kind of talk to. It's a nice segment to obviously you helped yourself in recovery. Let's talk about this in prevention, right? So eating like this as well as like, we don't need to wait for, you know, God forbid something like that, but we can take the steps now to prevent something like this from happening. Or if something like this from happening from it being really exacerbated or worse. So if you wouldn't mind comment on the preventative component to all this and the lifestyle that you now that you created there and that you now that I'm assuming you live still.
1: Yes. Um, absolutely. I mean, pre- preventative now is, is the, what I work with athletes and students discussing, because I, I want to back up with one small thing because I, I have found over and over with cancer patients that I work with that they'll say, I don't understand. I've been vegan my entire life. I've never had red meat. I do all this stuff and I got cancer. I've done all the quote, right things. So I do want Anyone who's listening, if they have been diagnosed with cancer and they have lived a very healthy lifestyle, not to pile on guilt and shame on themselves that it is something that they did. But to your point, there are a lot. I'm glad of, you made that point. Thank you. That can be prevented as working through a healthier lifestyle. So we just want to. I, I just like to s- separate that because I've had so many conversations with patients who are who. Are, Felt that they've been doing all of these things and then still ended up with cancer. So there are many factors in the cancer category or disease category. But when it comes to prevention, our body is always talking to us, and our ability to understand its language is fascinating to me because it feels like our language is speaking French, but I speak English. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <lost> in <laughs> translation because of years of bad habits, right? Like if we have all these bad habits of emotional eating, or just boredom eating, or snacking on salty or sweet, whatever it may be, overindulging, it's hard to break that connection, first of all, that repetitious thought pattern and behavioral pattern, and reintroduce and introduce something such as intermittent fasting or ketogenic diet, whole food, whatever um, specific that they're working on. And so we have to sit with what's happening in our body as we're making these transitions, which is why I'm a, a big proponent of journals. I know people hate writing things down, but the truth is when you write something down, it's real, <laughs> right? Like you can't, you can't ignore it. If I write down the foods that I'm eating, how many times I've had athletes who are like, I didn't write the, the five M&Ms that I ate. I'm like, no, write 5 MMs that you wrote because you are mm-hmm. denying something. There's a reason you're not writing it. You feel guilt, you feel shame. So it's going back to these, these patterns and we can start to listen to it. How many times do we eat too quickly? And then we don't realize that we were actually full and we overeat. And so the, the preventative piece that we can take from this is learning how to listen to our body, learning, noticing what happens when you eat foods and certain spices. I mean, I didn't know for years that I was allergic to onion never knew it. Like, but I and like, you have to take these, these tiny amounts, these tiny cues um, from our body and also know that our body, as our body evolves, our nutrition is going to evolve. Our movement mm-hmm. evolves. We don't all still eat baby food. We don't all still crawl. And so I have a lot of people come to me like ketogenic has always worked and now it's not working. Well, maybe you had a major surgery, or maybe you had a major illness, and it changed your metabolism, it changed your cellular makeup. I developed allergies after cancer that I never had in my life. Things change, Mm. we evolve, and we're exposed to environmental toxins and um, (laughs) relational toxins. (laughs) They're all things Mm -hmm. that start to affect our, our body and our nervous system. How much stress are you under? These things are going to change the way that our body is responding. So Preventative yeah. takes a lot more time. And I think that's sometimes why people are always looking for that quick fix and they jump from place to place. So patience is going to be your biggest preventative key is patient in whatever it is that you decide to employ.
0: Sure. Patience is a virtue and it's a uh, cliche, but it's there for uh, a reason. Virtues are are very strong. And we need to be able to uh, harness the power of those virtues. And there are ways to practice patience. And uh, this is, again, another opportunity for you to share in how you do that and how you help coach your uh, peers, clients, and those that follow you. What is your best method that you would recommend for our listeners to practice patience?
1: I mean, my my practices are rooted deeply in, in meditation or mindfulness, um, mm-hmm. connecting breath and l- allowing thoughts to freely come and go. Um, part of what helps myself and helps a lot of athletes that I work with in, in yoga, between the hours of 3 and 6 a.m. are considered sacred hours when our ego is our weakest. And we're most attuned mm-hmm. to our greatest intuition, our highest self, our deepest consciousness. And so if you can be a morning person, so I'm not proposing this for everyone because I've certainly received pushback, but if you can get up in that time and do a a five-minute just breathing exercise, um, a visualization exercise, there's so much that comes in learning about yourself that is going to help cultivate patience. Because Mm. when you sit there, when your ego is not fighting you and telling you all the to-do lists and agendas that you need to do, you can be much more patient with what's arising, the emotions you're feeling, maybe the soreness you're feeling from the workouts that you're doing. You can be really intuitive to what's happening in your body. And throughout the day, I have seen a shift in patience versus waking up because the alarm is going, you've hit snooze three times, you already feel rushed, you've already set the tone for your day that there is no patience. You you don't have patience for anything from the moment you heard the buzzer to brushing your teeth, getting ready. If you take just five or 10 minutes earlier for yourself, even if you're not a morning person, it will pay dividends in how you feel, how you are productive, how you move, how you breathe, how you eat, how you interact.
0: Yes, I I wholeheartedly agree. So I need to share this because I'm proud of, Doing this, and it's something that I want to share the uh, and hopefully influence listeners. I've been doing what you just ex- described towards the end. Uh, you know, rushing my entire career now, almost twenty, spanning almost twenty five years. You know, when, even in high school now, actually, really, I, I was never a morning person. I just would always be rushing. You know, skip breakfast, go into the next thing, and and clients, you know, like to work out early and. Uh, Some clients have even worked out at 5 a.m. So like, I mean, it was always serving others right before ever doing anything for myself. Well, when COVID hit changed the obviously landscape of my business and uh, it definitely, you know, put things at, at, at halt. So I had my mornings to myself and I got into morning routines for myself and I love it. It is awesome. Like I feel so at ease, so at peace, so balanced. And the work that I'm doing now is more purposeful, meaningful, and I feel I'm more... I'm just more efficient and better at it. And especially in a time right now when we need to shift, like we were talking just before before we went on the recording, how our careers have shifted and things we need to do virtually. And these are landscapes and places that I've never really dwelled in that is all new experience for me that I need to learn and do. So when I take this time and I'm doing it now, and I'll finish this point, is I've had several people in the last month or two want to get into my morning space and I won't allow them in. And I have a standard now, no matter how much money, um, you know, I want, like I've done well enough to where I, you know, maybe I, I'm maybe a little biased because I can, I I can kind of turn down the money and I'm not like hungry for it or need it as much. But I also feel like I've created a value in my life where it's not about the money, right? I have, I'm taking care of myself first. So now later on, those people that can come in and if they really want to work with me, they'll find the space. If they don't, then they, they weren't maybe necessarily somebody that I'd want to work with anyway because they wanted it on their time. So they weren't willing to bend or work with me and it was just not flexible. So the point of me bringing that up is one, I'm proud and I want to share. Two is because you should share, right? Because that sharing makes it yeah. more complete. It's really like, it's like- acknowledging yourself. And then two is to help everybody You know, complete what you said about taking that time in the morning, that sacred time to give yourself an opportunity to take care of yourself before you do anything for anybody else. That includes your family or your kids, whatever it looks like. Take care of yourself first.
1: It's the airplane oxygen mask analogy. You're supposed to put your yeah. oxygen mask on first before helping anyone else. And I love Maya Angelou had a quote saying that you must serve from your saucer. So only when you fill your cup to a space of overflow, you should be serving from the saucer, the overflow, not from the cup itself. And when you establish the morning routines, now you're serving from a space of overflow, abundance and generating this space of abundance and this non-negotiable. And I know so many people have difficulty with, I can't carve out that space. I'm, I'm a mom, I'm a dad, I'm a teacher with too much... You have to create a non-negotiable because if you don't, the universe, the world will toss you through the ocean waves and you will just get flipped and turned and struggle gasping for air. So it's a non-negotiable. Put the mask on first before you help anyone else.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think, I mean, I don't know if it's coincidence and I know it's not, I'm kind of just uh, saying that, but- there's more abundance in things that have come to me that otherwise wouldn't have because I've done that.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: So it's like, you might take two steps back, but you're going to go three steps forward, you know, and that's really a beautiful thing. So awesome. So mindfulness, uh, you're a, you have a multiple, multiple array of disciplines, a fitness coach, a lifestyle coach, a yogi, a meditation guru, uh, And you call yourself a struggle guru, um, or at least that's what I have heard or read. Um, Tell us a little bit about that.
1: So it's funny you should say that. So the title of my book is Struggle Guru, but I have said a million times over, I am no one's guru. Um, the only oh, person who, okay. could, who could be your guru really exists within you. And and the purpose in, in Struggle Guru is for you to realize that there is a master that exists within. And that does not mean that you will not encounter or seek out many masters of different disciplines, but ultimately by t- tapping into your stories of struggle, it's going to direct the type of masters and disciplines that you need to connect with in order to really evoke your, your internal guru.
0: Mm, I get it. So it's like the saying, uh, when the student is ready, the master will appear. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Um, well, that's really cool. I, I, uh, I'm sorry for the confusion there. So the struggle guru is like the guru within yourself. Um, and I, you know, people have, kind of labeled me sometimes as guru. And I also felt kind of funny with that. And like, I know that a lot of yogis who are out of ego, not, or not within ego also feel that as well. Many of those that are in ego and egocentric tend to think that and, and live in that space. Um, And it's a, it's a, you know, kind of a, it's a weird, Kind of dichotomy there because people look up to us, you know, very important people. As you said, you work with athletes and other influential people uh, who expect you to know the answers or want the guidance from you. How do you manage your own ego? Because we talked a little bit about that. Like, how do you keep yours in line so that you're not, you know, dealing uh, with internal conflict?
1: You mean stay grounded so that I don't get a big head about being a guru?
0: Yes, or no? Like uh, saying grounded uh, within your own ego, right? So everybody has an ego, regardless what you, me, or I mean everybody on this world in the world has ego. So I find that there's so many ways that you know people do or teach or coach people to help keep them out of ego. Um, what is your way of helping people stay out of ego? Because I know that people are listening. We're thinking about what we were just talking about—ego. Um, you know, it's a conversation that comes up often, like staying out of ego when you want to do your best, when you're altruistic, when you're giving and sharing, when you do it from the heart. We commented on that a little bit earlier. What are some ways that you personally do, and/or do you share with your with your audience?
1: I think, first of all, recognition that the ego is still necessary. So I I'm I don't teach to eliminate the ego. I teach athletes and students to listen to what the ego is saying and become a witness to the ego. So stepping back and almost uh, more observational, like you're watching a movie and seeing how the ego is playing out. And as a result of of seeing the way in which it interacts, recognize that you are not that. Hmm. That is, I mean, it's a lot within yoga, in consciousness. You know, if you ask the question, who am I? And not to answer it, but just say that in your head or just say, hello, who hears you saying hello? Hello? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like That's consciousness. So there's a, there's a parallel between these and there's, for most people, when they come to me, there's a battle going on between consciousness and ego because ego doesn't feel seen. It's like the child that's shouting because they they want attention. You have two choices. You could ignore it, but it's still there and everyone around you is going to see it. So that's when your ego flares up and you're trying to ignore that the ego is there and everyone is noticing that your ego is taking over. Or we can become an observer of this and then consciousness can start to take over in a way of, okay, I see you, ego but you are not the one in charge of this experience, right? Like Mm -hmm. I need it to drive. I need it to work in some instances. I mean, ego helps athletes. (laughs) Need some some ego.
0: (laughs) Sure, no (laughs) doubt. Um, It's always interesting though, at the end when when an athlete has had a great play or they've done something extraordinary, they, you know, kneel and pray or, you know, thank God or the heavens above, you know, whomever. That sort of seems like, it's out of ego right there's something that is also driving them
1: absolutely i mean and i think what it comes back to is on, in order to examine ego you have to examine your beliefs you need to mm-hmm. look at what your roots are um you know for me a lot of that is is deeply spiritual so i look at things that build my character and that I want to work towards, you know, service is always something that I want to work towards. Am I doing this? I'll ask the question, like, is ego telling me to do this because of money, for example, right? Or am I doing this because this works towards a higher act of service? And the benefit is that I also get paid well for it, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that I am above taking jobs or haven't taken jobs before, just solely because I'm like, no, but I need the money (laughs) for doing it. but coming back to that belief system, that belief system is your guide. That is going to drive you. And that's where the athlete is praying, kneeling, or you know pointing to God. That's still a huge part of what is driving them. We might see it as they're doing it for fame. If you really talk to more athletes, by and large, the vast majority – of athletes are in it because of the love of the game and the gift that it, it makes them allows them to share with the world and the way it makes them connect with themselves and connect with their families and their communities. So, Mm -hmm. you know, belief system, what kind of athletes
0: do you work with Kirsten?
1: I mean, I've worked with, um, rowers, uh, Ironman athletes, NBA players, major league baseball, hockey, lacrosse. Those are the major ones.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Great. Well, I just wanted to just see, you know, where in, you know, what space in the athletic world you were, you were dwelling in. Awesome. Um, so we talked a little bit about, you talked about ego, God. Um, what is your relationship with God and or spirituality within the yogi space and, and whatnot? You know, what's your relationship, especially going through cancer and recovering? I know that people tend to get very spiritual or, or uh, they have an, an epiphany or an enlightening. From an experience like that,
1: Um, I mean, I've always been. I was I was raised Methodist, and I rebelled against any sort of religion until I got to college, and then I joined a a campus crusade for Christ. It was called the Dive, Um, and so I met with that group, and I went on some retreats locally around the university, and so I've I've always had a, a pretty strong relationship with with God. And it wasn't until I took a comparative religion class and you were required to go to two different places of worship that were outside of your normal upbringing. So you couldn't go to synagogue if you were raised Christian because they are very similar. And I ended up at a Sikhs temple, a Buddhist temple, and a mosque. And Mm. in those experiences, one, I learned a very different role as a woman in religion and those experiences but rituals connection and i became very fascinated with religious and spiritual texts so i've spent a lot of time especially when i was sick studying different religious texts and what's always fascinated me is the teachings are all very similar <laughs> we, mm-hmm. have different, we, have different <laughs> we have we have different key players we have we have different names <laughs> different practices yep. but there are universal concepts of of love and service and, you know, honoring um, something higher than ourselves. And so I, I feel that connection. I feel that God does not have an ego. And so God does not, is not concerned with who you call God or what you call God. But I think that there is an energy, there's a presence, whether it's science, whether you want to call it Mother Nature, God, Allah, Buddha, whatever. I think that there's there's always something higher that we can aspire to.
0: Awesome. Thanks for sharing. What about, have you been to India or any of the uh, yogi kind of centric studies or retreats and uh, what's the word I'm looking for, like, immersive experiences there have you been to any of those
1: so I have not been to India I was supposed to go to Nepal this this year um Mm. do a meditation immersion with Buddhist monks um so I was going to be there for 30 days and you're like they you have to check your phone in at the door You can like very specific things. I was very excited about it. um, And I'm I'm hoping that in the future I can go. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Also very fortunate that, I mean, really the interesting thing is especially out there, it's very inexpensive to go there. The hardest part is, is flying there, but the actual training there, which when you find a lot of these, these type of immersive experiences, they aren't very expensive. So I often caution people sometimes, it's easy to fall into the marketing of this looks really great. And we'll show you the pretty parts of this. And I've always kind of been like, get me into the gritty part. Like I don't, I don't mm-hmm. want the tourist version. I want to know what the experience really feels like. And I think that that's, partly because of my cancer experience. I've gone through some gritty things and and I love feeling challenged in that way. While I couldn't in the moment in cancer, it's part of the reason I love endurance sports. It's why I got into ultra racing for myself because I love seeing how far I can push my body and what the response of that is and how then I can adapt it and move it in new ways and, and teach others to do the same.
0: Mm. So tell us about that. Uh, I, would love to hear about your athletic, uh, endeavors now. So you're an ultra racer. What is that?
1: Yes. Yeah, so ultra races are anything over anything over a 26.2. So anything over a marathon really. So 50 K is the first one. So that's uh 30, 30 ish miles, 35 ish miles. Um, and then it can go upwards and upwards and upwards. And so I just, <laughs> The interesting thing with ultras in comparison, I've I've raced in marathons, I've qualified for Boston, I've I've done those things. When you're doing an ultra, you have to power hike through part of it and you hallucinate and (laughs) your body goes through some very weird things. Things in your body that never hurt before come up and start hurting. And then things that always seem to hurt or ache feel like perfect. (laughs) So... Mm it's such a unique community of people who love to push the limits and explore. But I think that people are pleasantly surprised by the various body types, experiences, and professionals that show up to, to the events. So it's always an interesting uh, community of people to be around. And I really appreciate that. Plus being an, I love hiking, running, moving in the dark, um, Because the headlamp is very specific, and you have to be so focused, and it becomes very meditative for me. Because you can truly block out the rest of the world, and only that moment, that breath, those footsteps matter.
0: What drew you to ultra running, and 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 not anything else like cycling or swimming, Um, other endeavor?
1: You know, it's funny. Well, I've been a runner. My entire life, my father, who was a wonderful athlete, he was one of very few at the time when he was growing up who broke the four-minute mile. Um, Oh, no kidding! So he is
0: with Robert Bannister.
1: Yeah. So he's a very he was a very fast man, like all legs.
0: (laughs) Wow, that's Um, super cool. So I've used that example in so many like shares of like you know as soon as Robert Bannister broke that, which was. Uh, at one time and unimaginable. And then once he did within two weeks, like 10 other people broke the four minute mile. So tell us a little bit about that. If you know anything about that experience that your dad shared with you.
1: I mean, I don't remember a lot. I just know that there are a lot of pictures of him from newspapers, clippings, like when it Mm. happened, um, his pictures up in his high school in, um, New Jersey, and I mean, where in New Jersey, he was outside, he was in Livingston, New Jersey.
0: Get out. I grew up in Clark, New Jersey, which is like the neighboring town. Like the high schools are regional high schools. Like they're, they're interconnected, even though they're in different towns, they're yeah. like part of the same unified <laughs> park. Wow. That's funny. Yeah. That's great. What's, what's your dad's last
1: name? Beverly.
0: Beverly, okay, and what was his first name? James James Beverly, okay, so I know a couple people that uh that went there. I'm gonna throw it out there, James Beverly, and see if yeah. they they know him. That would be funny, small world
1: he was like part of what I would see in newspaper clippings is he had a newspaper route. And he would run the route with the newspapers and throw them. Oh. There. So like he was just, he was always running, always running, which um, yeah. is how I, Very got cool. it I wanted to be, you know, just like him. However, I am proportionately not anatomically designed, really. I have short legs and I'm all torso. I am 5'11". Mm. And my mom, who's 5'7". Hi like has to move the seat back in the car after driving when I do like I, <laughs> so really I'm designed well for rowing like because I huh. get such a good uh but I grew up in Ohio so there wasn't a lot of <laughs> there wasn't a lot of rowing happening and if it was they were in private schools and that was just out of the the financial realm of things so I do yeah. I also indoor competition now and do some fun sculling and stuff up here in Maine but um nothing, nothing competitive there. So running is the easiest, right? You put on your shoes and you go, the, the road is open. It might be slippery, but it is still open and available.
0: (laughs) For sure. For sure. So I, I love running too. I love the way it like recalibrates your body as well, just in the way that we're supposed to, we were designed to move, you know, we're, are, are, we're runners and, and we are distance runners. Uh, we were born to run, uh, which is an awesome book.
1: I was like, that's um, a great
0: book. Just being, yeah, <laughs> that's why I brought it up. And it's, uh, you know, it's we, we're designed to, and I always find when I get into a, a running routine, uh, which I go in and out of, I just like to always change things up to keep the variability and the body ch- uh, shocked, if you will. It really like feels good. Everything feels balanced. Um, you know, people are always, Oh, it's, you know, hard on your back or it's hard on your knees or, you know, people that that run don't age well, it's hard on your skin. Like I've even heard that. I don't know. That's that's an LA thing. Like women worrying about running because it's going to like give them wrinkles. I'm not kidding. Uh, that's not true. Um, but that is stuff that I've heard and, you know, through the years. So, um, Yeah. It feels good to run. It feels good to walk and run like that and move your body. So very cool. Um, So you're, you're living in this like legacy of your dad, but also like still maintaining this memory of him and, you know, keeping his legacy alive by running this probably also, he would be very proud. I'm sure to know that you were doing that and continuing that in the the gene pool that you have of him.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, that's part of the reason as I've grown older i always felt like going out there was my time with him so i could connect mm. connect with him and i've had many runs and many races where i i felt his presence there and 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 could just i mean no i mean there have been a couple of times where i felt like he gave me a swift kick to the behind <laughs> and like this is your time you need to go now yeah
0: yeah yeah <laughs> but, awesome uh, good yeah. So share with what you're up to right now with the audience so that we can stay connected with you. And uh, obviously, people have probably grown very fond of you over this uh, short conversation here, um, as I have. But what, is, uh, what are you up to? What are you doing? How can we be in your world, your coaching, your teachings, your, your, your being, your way of being and who you are to be influenced and, and inspired by you?
1: So currently, I am actually in the process, I was telling you before we started, that I am recording my new program, which is a resilience training program that focuses on various modalities of movement, which is really rooted in the neuromuscular, musculoskeletal systems and understanding along the fascial lines and understanding how that starts to impact our gliding potential of our muscles, but it is also affecting our metabolism in our nutrition, our sleep, So we break it down into two two pieces. There's an AM and a PM part of the program. The AM is your priming. So that's where we do activities, movements, or meditations that are priming your mindset, priming your body for your day. And in the evening, the PM program is more passive. And this is designed to downregulate the nervous system so that you can metabolize your day, metabolize the movements and experiences you've had in order to really regenerate and um, re-energize for your next day. So that will- I love that. Coming out in the new year.
0: (laughs) Very cool. I love that. And then you have your book as well.
1: Yes. So Struggle Guru is out. I have an ebook format and uh, paperback. You can find it pretty much on every site, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, all of them. Or you find it on my website as well, which is just kbwaters.com.
0: Great. Uh, You mentioned something about mindset in your in your previous program, uh, and I want to discuss that Uh, mindset, in my opinion, is super important. It's a I think more important than even movement at times, because if you don't have the right mindset, uh, you know, you. Can't necessarily achieve what you are doing. If you don't have purpose or if you don't have a intention which is created in your mindset, then movement just becomes movement without anything. And sometimes movement can create intention. So it sometimes serves as a dual purpose. But I want to talk about the importance and what you do and how you coach your clients to be able to create a better mindset for their well-being.
1: So this is where I employ the power of OM, So OM chanting is often used in yoga, but OM, for my athletes, for my students I work with, actually is an acronym that means observe the mind, move the body. So by observation of the mind, by spending time in our mindset, it will give us the cues and and the direction in order to move the body. So I agree. Absolutely. We get so hung up on movement that we don't spend enough time in our mindset. People think that if I do all the workouts, that it'll declutter my mind, or it'll end depression, or it will do all of these things. You have to do the hard work in the mindset training. I don't think enough Mm -hmm. people spend enough time in what's going on between the ears to move their bodies intelligently and to nourish their bodies in ways that are sustainable I think that we've gotten really good at quick fixes for a short period of time and then falling off the bandwagon and then repeating the cycle. But if we come back and that's, I mean, that's the point of Struggle Guru. Struggle Guru says, let's examine the stories that we are telling ourselves. And by examining the stories that we have repeatedly told ourselves throughout our lives, it has influenced the way we breathe, move and think. So ultimately your autobiography influences your biology. And you can change that by changing your story, by changing your mindset. You can influence the way today looks and the rest of your life.
0: Mm, I like that. I've have never heard that before. I like that. Your autobiography can change your biography or biology. biology
1: yeah,
0: <laughs> Biology. Yeah. That's awesome. Very, very cool. Um, so yes, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. You, late, you have to have a great mindset or a positive mindset or a a mindset that's going to help move you and push you in the direction to have optimal health, wellness, fitness, well-being, uh recovery. I mean, how important was your mindset during your recovery from cancer? It was probably pivotal on top of most everything else.
1: Absolutely. And one of the things um you know, again, the mindset is we get hung up on be a warrior, battle cancer, fight, fight, fight. I like to remind people that we only have 100% energy within our system. If I spend 50% of my energy focusing on everybody telling me I have to fight, have to fight, have to fight, it doesn't allow me the actual mental capacity to develop the mindset of actually fighting. So Mm. one of the greatest things that anyone listening who knows someone with cancer, instead of like, you know, I want you to fight, I'm fighting for you, I'm fighting for you, change the words. (laughs) <laughs> like, I support you in this process. How can I help you with, you know, feeling like you have a mindset of victory and overcoming? And how can, how can I support that? And what tools do you need to feel like you have the mindset to feel like you can take in this experience and move forward? Because one of the things I don't think many people understand is the greatest challenge within cancer is that it is me. I am not separate of cancer. It is in every cell. It is there. It is always with me. And when I acknowledge the fact that I am cancer, but there is something that cancer does not contain because cancer is in a cell, it is not the intelligence that I am. I have the mindset that can overtake and change the biology of those cells. And so I can change the mental attitude that the, the virus, that the diseases cannot adapt to. It's not that intelligent. It's smart, but it's not as smart as me. <laughs> mm,
0: well said. And I, I agree with that. It definitely can change so much with your thoughts and the way that you think. And um, I'm, you know, very honored to speak to you about this and, uh, have this conversation and for you being so vulnerable and sharing your experiences with cancer and what you've been through the struggles, uh, and the, the breakdowns that have ultimately led you through these awesome breakthroughs in your career, um, and continue will, they will continue with you through that journey that you're on. So, um, You know, Thank you, Kirsten, for sharing your your story with us. Thank you for being who you are in in the space of health and fitness and well-being and continuing to raise the bar and the standard in our space because it's important to have people like you and I to to carry the torch and make sure that people are doing their best. And that's really what it boils down to. Make sure you do your best. There's no perfection in this space. It's about doing your best and every day you just... Put your best foot forward, and some days will be better than others. And sometimes you'll fall, but it's not how hard you fall; it's how quickly you pick yourself up. I'd love for you to share your your final thoughts here with our audience, and uh, just give us a give us a pep talk in life, and in the way that we end this and end the year, and perhaps start the new year.
1: I always close my my yoga classes with this reminder that if you place your hand on your chest and you can feel your heartbeat beneath it beneath your hand and you can breathe in and you can breathe out, then you have everything you need to start changing your life. As long as there is air in your lungs and a heart that is beating, there is always the ability to change. And when you feel like the world is spinning around you, come back to that breath, come back to that heartbeat, the sound of it, the sensation of it will ground you and help you to move forward.
0: Awesome, great words of wisdom. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Steve Jordan Experience, not just exercise, not just diet. It's an experience. Thank you for spending your time with me and my guest today on the Steve Jordan Experience. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, there are a few things that you can do. First, sharing is caring. So show your family and friends how much you care about them by sharing this podcast to encourage them to live their best life. Two, Go to my website, stevejordan.com, to subscribe to my Get Fit community. Here, you will receive updates, news, and valuable information for ways for you to get more involved in the Steve Jordan experience. And finally, take a minute to please rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It helps me to continue to get outstanding guests to create an extraordinary listening experience for you. That's all, friends. Thanks for listening to the Steve Jordan experience.